Welcome back to The Remote Life. My name is Han Talbot, also known as Han Meets World, and today we'll be chatting with Rowena Hennigan. Originally from Ireland and now based in Spain, Rowena is an academic author and researcher. She has recently launched a short course with LinkedIn about becoming a digital nomad. In this episode, we talk about the course and some of the takeaways, Rowena's experience of digital nomadism with her family, and her thoughts on the future of the remote life and digital nomad space. So grab a coffee, a tea, or something stronger, and let's get started. Okay, so Rowena, welcome to The Remote Life Podcast. How are you? Wonderful to be chatting to you again and delighted to be here. So, Rowena, let's dive straight in. Connect the dots for us. Tell us more about you and your remote life journey. Yeah, it's it's been quite a few years. I mean, I'm 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 a little bit maybe more mature, like a fine wine, as they say. And uh, I've been around since the first uh, dot boom. I know what Alta Vista is. I used it as a search engine. And yeah, so I went back in the sort of early two thousands. I was actually in. New Zealand on a working holiday visa because I'm Irish. You might be able to tell from the accent. <laughs> and I was down there like a lot of sort of people in their late 20s do. They go and do a working holiday. That turned into a little bit longer than planned, about two to th- nearly three years. And then as I was leaving there, I had gotten a new project in Europe and I started doing some work. And the project got delayed as in the full kickoff of it. But I was traveling through Southeast Asia, making my way slowly back at the time. My brother was in Bali, so I was visiting him. I was in Thailand for a while and I had my computer with me and I started doing a little bit of prep work wherever I could get a Wi-Fi connection. Mm-hmm. And it, that was kind of my first toe in the water of, you know, I could be working doing this project from anywhere as I moved through Southeast Asia. Again, it wasn't as predictable as it is nowadays. Lots of places have bad net connections and it wasn't reliable internet. But it really started to open my mind to work from anywhere. And I met groups of people and some of them were doing the same a little bit. You don't see as many computers in the as you would maybe see in some of those nomad hotspots. But I definitely, certainly in Bali, came across a few people who, who were working, so the early adopters as such, from Bali. And whether they were doing computer work locally, who knows? But that was the start of it. And then uh, those few years afterwards, on and off, I was traveling lots. I've been to over 60 countries. Um, I've had various projects where I've lived, had one project, say, for example, in Ireland and lived in France for a while. I was doing a a snow season in France for four months and uh, doing a little bit of work there and a little bit of work back to Ireland. And just examples like that. And most of these, nearly all these examples, I was a freelancer Mm -hmm. back in the early days of contracting. My teeth were cut in IT when there was very few women in IT as Mm -hmm. well. So I was often on teams with you know lots of men but it was just really you know taken care of understood particularly in telco because it was mainly in telco work telecommunications that you could work remotely as such it wasn't a novelty we had the technology we didn't have video or we didn't have maybe as advanced so we were used to doing or used to using emails and different uh, tools that were available to work and the kind of trust was there, which is interesting, looking at a lot of the debates around remote work since we've come off the pandemic. The trust was there in a lot of the teams I worked with and on. There was no problem, even as a freelancer joining those teams. So I guess that that's sort of where it started. Then push forward uh, to being back in Ireland when I was nearly 40. I met my partner. We had our our daughter quite quickly and that's when with her being sick a new element of sort of global mobility and remote work enabling flexibility health and lifestyle kicked in because we were Mm -hmm. stuck in Dublin with a very sick little girl 
who was just a year and a half. And both myself and my partner were working on remote contracts. And we just said, what are we doing here? So we mm-hmm. up sticks and based ourselves in the north of Spain, in Zaragoza. That's where I'm joining you from today. And making that type of move with a family, with a child, is so different from any of the other examples I've given earlier in the, you know, earlier in this conversation, because you're there with a child in a new place. And again, a lot of society says settle down, buy a house, you know, take out mm-hmm. a really big uh, contract on a, an apartment lease or whatever. But as we were settling in over that first year, we said, no, no, no. Our plan is once a year or twice a year, if we can do it, we will go down the traditional route of our daughter going to school in Spain so she can learn Spanish and be bilingual. Mm-hmm. But we want to be globally mobile. We want to be able to move when we can. Mm-hmm. And even in that, that's been five years now, Han, and even in those two and a half years of COVID in the middle of that, we've spent three months in, in Asia again, Bali, Vietnam and Singapore for so many for so many days we based ourselves out of Bali we were both working over that so almost three months we spent three months in Tarragona which is only three hours from where we're based but in the middle of Covid we got out and we were down in that in that region and we spent three months in Gran Canaria during Covid as well so we managed to get a flight out based ourselves in Las Palmas and moved around the islands so it's maybe nomading light to some people listening, but it's definitely, definitely the way we think. We do not want to be based in one place. We want to be mobile. And when we can, we want to take our daughter and explore the local and far off world. And, and that's really our ethos as a family. No, absolutely. I've mentioned this before to people that like, I feel like digital nomad actually it's a very specific term now. Like before it could kind of be used as an umbrella term for a lot of people, but now I, that's why I choose remote life because it allows you to do exactly what you were saying about how you know you can sometimes be based in you know three months in London or you can sometimes be based for six months in Bali or it allows you like you said that mobility so no absolutely it, it, I mean I was listening to a destination thinking oh that sounds dreamy but yeah it absolutely affords you like you said like the ability to live life as you wish without being location dependent so completely agree about that one I was going to ask, actually, yeah, like doing remote life as a family, do you have any advice for people who are maybe cautious about moving to this lifestyle with a family? Just to listen to the way I've even explained it, there's so many different versions of it out there. Mm. Like I gave the example that we don't have the mortgage. We don't want to be tied down, you know, with big expenses in Zaragoza. So we've been very careful about where we've picked to live here as our base. But others, that might not suit them. They may have property. They may have house swapping for longer periods can be a way of doing it. So don't let just, I think to your point about the definition of nomads Mm -hmm. changing, we're in a time, we're in a time of big change. So if anything I'm saying appeals to you, even for one summer or one Easter Mm -hmm. holidays, especially if you've got school to consider, because parents listening, that's one of the biggest things. And they're they're, they're Mm -hmm. often ruled by school term unless maybe they decide to take children out for a gap year, which still exists. I mean, mm. in the community of nomads that I know of, there's people living on the boats, on mm. a boat in the Pacific homeschooling, which seems like an extreme to me when, you know, some days with just one child, uh, when we were doing homeschooling during, during the pandemic, it was far too much. But I think don't be limited by the definitions. Look for stories, Ham. That would be mm. my biggest mm. piece of advice. That's where the internet is amazing because you can find blog posts, you can find examples on forums of people. 
especially even single parents, mixed, uh, you know, same-sex couples, whatever, you know, or people who want to travel with teenagers, older children, mm. people who might want to travel with the care responsibility as well, which sometimes people, you know, who want to travel with people in wheelchairs or whatever. What I'm saying is family means different things to everyone. We're so individual. What family means to us is so different. And so is the way we interpret traveling and working as well. And working can just extend that stay. It can make it different because it gives you a base as well mm. and a community. Because whatever about you agree or don't agree about the term digital nomad, I do think generally it's an extended vacation <laughs> or an extended <laughs> holiday time. And, and then, you know, maybe more than a long weekend or a week, which would be the standard. So just look at how you can explore that. And for anyone who's listening with family and who wants to try it out, small steps. So look in your local region or country. Could you do a, a mini break? Could you do a week to start with where you try out two of those days in that week working and you look for local activities or childcare for your children? And that can be, once you've done that once or twice, you're a lot braver, mm. um, a lot braver. And especially coming out of COVID where people have young children and we have to realize that maybe those young children have never traveled mm. at all you know or they've done very little traveling certainly maybe not to far off destinations so I think that would be the sort of two or three points I would recommend to people. No that's amazing I can imagine yeah that school is such a big part of why parents potentially choose not to do it so is there like a specific Facebook group or place that you would maybe go to for yourself like just as like one step for people who are looking to get started, is there one specific place you would tell them to go to? So it, unfortunately, I haven't found anywhere that sums up all the mm. destinations. So I can give you a couple of examples of what's worked for us. Go for it. So when we were in Bali, we had local knowledge through my sister. So we organised a local activity camp for the month we were there. And we knew because lots of Bali caterers really well in the place mm. we were in, there was English speaking monitors or activity assistants so that was fine for our daughter so we got that through a little bit of local knowledge in Grand Canaria there's amazing Facebook pages mm. sometimes you need to look under expats for families or families of expats that's where you find it and that's where we found some of the summer camps with English speaking that our daughter joined in in on when we were there and then interestingly in Portugal and I'll give the links for the show notes on this there's some amazing things in Portugal Boundless Life is a, a new organisation in Portugal near uh, Lisbon, a place called Cascais, which has a location with co-living for families to share together and activities organised. Um, so that's mm -hmm. leading the charge. And also in that area is a new uh, startup. I think it's Generation. I'm not sure if I've got the right name. Generation Next, something like that. Again, mm -hmm. we can share it in the mm -hmm. show notes. And that caters for teenagers with an international curriculum. So if you go to the place over the summer, your, your, your child can, who's a bit older can essentially join in to these, into picking up a module, say, of a, a subject to study over the summer period. They're the sort of things that come to mind, but other things that have worked for us is language schools, right? Mm -hmm. That maybe, you know, are looking at, that bring in foreigners and teach them English. They often have summer camps, for example. So I think I've given some ideas there, but it's very, no one place seems to have it all. It tends to be, especially if you want to find a more specific thing for your child's age group, 
you need to look destination by destination. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's perfect. That was that was great. That was so concise. I'm, I'm, I don't even have kids and I'm taking notes. No, that was really amazing. So just to kind of like go back a little bit to your yourself and your experience. So what drew you to the world of digital nomadism and research within that? So my research in with the university for about the last six, seven years has focused mainly on remote work and distributed work. But as part of that, of course, when you're reading up on those themes, you come across some of the research on, on digital nomadism. And again, when you lean into digital nomadism, you're looking at terms like work from anywhere. You're looking at telecommuting can mean a different thing when you're looking at research from the States. So there was naturally always that thread of interest there, but it really extended actually for me uh, into something more significant. When I went to a co-living space, six months into the pandemic, again, the borders opened a little bit or the regions opened in Spain. And I went to the co-living space Sende, which is in Galicia. Mm. It's the oldest one in Europe. Amazing place. I managed to go there for two weeks. I just drove over in my car uh, because it's not too far from Zaragoza. And there I met so many inspiring nomads. Some of them had been nomading for a long time. And the owners of that co-working, the founders, Edo and, and Maria, they were just so inspiring. And that piqued my interest. And as part of going there, I was doing a bit of research there for a project. I also met a research student who is actually Puerto Rican, but she's done her dissertation in tourism on digital nomadism and looking at what co-living can provide for nomads. And we did a little bit of research work together, presented at a few conferences. And Stella now does some freelance work for me. She's actually based in Colombia mm. at the moment. Uh, so that, so just in the last sort of two, 18 months, two years, it's all that sort of reading, moving in that in those circles, it really just began to build. And I guess, to be honest, because I've always been working in the future of work in some way, <laughs> again, I wouldn't have gone through the first top boom and survived if I didn't sort of reinvent myself, read more on digital communications, then start reading on virtual and remote work. Again, the natural next step on is looking at nomadism and this more also work from anywhere and more global mobility and just different projects fell my way to pique those, that interest. And, and also, of course, being able to go to Madeira to put in Portugal to research the project there, which I did last May, a year ago, just over a year ago, and, and of course, going to Dubrovnik as well. So what's happened, as you probably know, and one of the things I, reasons I think I got the commission for the LinkedIn course on digital nomadism is because so many countries have exploded with mm. new digital nomad visas. There's so much more awareness, Han, that naturally my research interest is going that way as well because the market demand is going that way in my opinion absolutely yeah and I'm I've Madeira keeps coming up and I feel like it's someone that I just really need to get out and go check out at some point um so yes that sounds epic but of course that great segue into your course about becoming a digital nomad on LinkedIn so tell us a bit more um what can we expect from it and who's it for yeah I mean it's for me it's just it was a dream come true because I really admire through the university and maybe I'm a bit biased. I've been using LinkedIn Learning for a few years, actually, and their remote work courses that they have on there. I use it with my students because we have a license, a university license for access. So I knew the platform and that part of the platform really well. And I really rated the quality of the, of the courses on there. So when I got the chance to speak to one of the commissioning instructors so that I could pitch an idea, they initially came to me under the topic of remote work because obviously there's loads of angles there. But 
I said to the person, I said, I actually have a, I just want to pitch something else to you. What about digital nomadism? And I couldn't believe it actually when the conversation just was all about that. I, a couple of follow-up emails later and it was commissioned because we have to appreciate that LinkedIn as an organization, even they're working remotely policy may not equate to good uh, for many people to be good for digital nomadism, but they still were aware of the market demand and then they went for it. So I, I really appreciate their, their support and their open-mindedness in it, even though from a corporate, if you put a true corporate hat on, as we know, companies are still only, only moving there slowly. But it was commissioned in March and it went live last week, Hannah. And what mm. happened in the interim has been just stunning because Airbnb have come out with the new policy saying that they will offer 170 countries worldwide to all Airbnb employees to work from. And that actually Bronchesky said, which for me is a sign- really, really validates the strength of change that's coming, is that currently they haven't completely figured out compliance and infrastructure-wise how to offer those 170 countries. It's in process and they will open source the solution to other companies afterwards, which Again, just for me, is this is happening. It's it's revealing itself. And depending on individual job contracts and roles, you may not have a huge selection, but you will have more of a selection. And then when you're moving naturally, as we do in our careers, if you're staying permanent, you can then maybe choose to move to a company with a more open policy, more places that you can work from. Or like yourself and myself, you can look at the, the freelance world and, and go that way. So that was why... Again, LinkedIn said this is this demand here, and 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 that's why the courts got commissioned. And I think it's really, I think it's a real sort of a sense of our times, you know, that it did. And I'm really happy about that. And I, I really think people should be aware of the background there because mm. <laughs> it's a good news story, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. So, what are a couple takeaways from the course for people who are looking to potentially hop on it? So again, when I started pitching the course, I, I really assumed, and I do this with some of my university course courses, little or no knowledge. So I, it's very foundational. It's mm. very, very basic. And I think it only takes 27 minutes to complete. So anyone listening, I, I wouldn't let that put you off because you can you can go through the chapters. But it is definitely for someone who has never nomaded before, who's considering it at the very start, that wants to understand the wider concept uh, and that wants to, ha- you know, consider some of the issues and criteria in compliance, in legal, which I touch on in one of the chapters, what the nomad community looks like today, but very much hand to that point about the destinations expanding. So we have 42 destinations confirmed, nearly 60 in the pipeline. And again, that was a big driver for the course to be commissioned. And then the other chapters that are in there are things like finding community, finding the right workspace, being work and travel ready with a checklist, uh, considering sustainability and minimalism as nomads, and also, you know, really thinking of any of the challenges. So I'm very honest about the challenges. I'm honest about things like loneliness. I'm honest about things like homesickness, but very much pitching and bringing the learning learner through a journey that if they follow these, these guidance and follow the recommended research points that I offer, that they can really alleviate many of those concerns and be really nomad ready. So the angle is very basic, but it's also very much for all of these concerns, which can be genuine that you may have, here are some of the ways to alleviate and cut them off at the pass. It's interesting to say that it's a basic course because I feel like for 
things like digital nomadism, it's constantly changing. While the foundations might generally be the same, I feel like even for people who have been doing this for several years or a couple decades, there is always something new to learn from this, whether it's learning about a new co-work space, whether it's learning about uh, different platforms where you can go find work, different networking groups. So do you know what? I feel like even for people who are maybe more on the experienced end of digital nomad life, remote life, it still sounds like it's well worth looking into to me. Thank you for that validation. <laughs> You've made a really good point there. I guess, I guess when I'm designing it, I'm thinking of all the other information I could have added in. Okay. And that's it. I've even got some I've got some wonderful feedback on the from the first few hundred learners. And one one gentleman said to me, actually, he said, I just love some more information from mm. you know next steps. So obviously it could be a progression, but that's a really good point. Exactly, because I learned when I was researching it, mm. and I learned for example, about other ways to be sustainable, better ways to be prepared for traveling. I learned some things, right? Mm. Uh, you know, when I went to even Nomad List, which I would use occasionally, and I mentioned, you know, I said, oh, they've also got that category because new things are being added all the time. So the point is that if you've got, as, even as an experienced Nomad, it goes over all the general topics for you, but it also reminds you maybe of, of how good your your catalog or library of resources needs to be, how, how much you need to lean into your network mm. uh, all the time, how much has come on in the two years or three years mm. of COVID because all those new visas, mm. I mean, look at the Croatian one, having studied or looked at a lot of them, it's even got a helpline hand, for example, mm. for people to ring up, which again, when Estonia started with their first one, it was it was it was just the, like the version one. Now we're on version eight point five mm. in two years or whatever. So every country or region that's coming out with a, a, a visa or something similar is improving. So it's exactly that. And I guess yeah, I would encourage anyone. And obviously, the advantage of any of your listeners contacting me on LinkedIn. And if you do, if you connect and say, "Hey, Rowena, I want to." to take the course, I can give you a free, free access. When you click on the link, it will be open for 24 hours. And one of the advantages for people listening is then I'll get feedback from all types of the community. And that's what I'm after because, you know, this is just the first course and hopefully there can be many more. Mm. So No, absolutely. I mean, for something that is just so, you know, our, the lifestyle is essentially kind of governed by an internet access, essentially. So I feel like, it's constantly changing. And like you said, even in the last couple of years, and you mentioned on your, uh, your launch screening last night as well, like even the amount of vi visas that are now available, like it kind of got wild at one point how like literally every single day a new visa for digital nomads was coming out um, last summer. So no, absolutely. I would definitely say that even if you, you think like, oh, I know it all, you don't. There is constantly something coming out. Like even I was just... um. After Dubrovnik, um, I went to a couple other conferences and the amount of programs that are now kind of like, oh, yeah, like that's actually a really good product. Like, of course, that makes total sense. There is constantly something new coming out for different systems that help you shape this remote lifestyle. So, no, absolutely. Like, whether you're aspiring digital nomad or current, go chat to Rowena, go check out her course. Absolutely. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, great to hear you. Great to hear that encouragement because the more learners I get, the more chance I'll have more commissions. So hopefully that's the case. <laughs> yeah, get those coins. Get those coins. But just for actually, just to go quickly back to our beginners, if you went back and began remote life from scratch today, is there anything you would maybe do differently at all? That's a really good question. 
I don't know if I went right back to the start because I don't think I'd be aware. I tell you what I'm really interested in and, I, and I'm researching it genuinely at the moment. Uh, and it's because of the work that I do. I meet different people. Like I, I met someone from the Estonia EU residency in Dubrovnik. We've got organizations like Safety Wing and Plumia that are looking this borderless, borderless countries. All, all I would do is look at setting myself up a bit more internationally. And the e-residency of Estonia, I'm actually researching that now. So let me explain where if I could change something. When we came to Spain, at the time, because we were exhausted parents just trying to get our daughter well, we just set ourselves up here as autonomous or sole traders. And I mean, don't get me wrong, that works fine. But there are amazing other offers out there internationally. So, so as a more experienced nomad or location independent person now, I would look better at that more international setup, the better benefits of, uh, you know, other tax residencies, the better organization of that hand. So that's the one thing that I would change over the last five years. But myself, and my partner are starting to do that now. So we're looking mm. at other options. We just didn't have the brain capacity in the first couple of years in Spain. Apart from the settling in, we both actually learned more or less fluent Spanish. So we really mm. concentrated on our integration here. So, you know, it's also a trade-off. It depends on your priorities in life mm. and it, it can be different. But that's one area. I don't touch on it in the course, but this whole there's a whole world emerging of if we're totally mobile, you know, could we have a global passport? Could we have, you know, could we be paying... Uh, tax into a, a borderless region like Plumia are looking at. Estonia is leading the charge. A lot of the other countries in that region are coming on board. So that's the one thing I would advise people to do if they're starting off. Look into that more carefully because sometimes, Han, once you go to a place, you can't retrospectively take up that. Does that make sense? You may want to be aware that once you take up a visa in a new place, that it may negate setting up completely independently, for example, out of Estonia. So I think that's the one piece of advice I'd give people. No, that's really good to know, actually, like just for people who are kind of like, oh, like I really fancy going here and then maybe I can... That obviously, it's, that's really good for people to know so that they then make a, a conscious decision based on that sort of thing. So that, that's, that's amazing. Do you have any predictions for the digital nomad and remote work movement in the, maybe the next five years? Or like, do you think that um, just for the future, like is there anything that you're seeing that is going to become more prevalent? I think there's going to be lots of new amazing services and products. We, we've, we've spoken about it. I've spoken about a couple of them there. That's why we're actually going to Portugal as a family. Mm. We're driving there for the summer because I really want to visit some of these places around mm. Lisbon. Um, and there's some really dynamic co-living and co-working and family-orientated services and projects coming out. So I'm really interested in understanding more about them because they're they're cutting edge. So I think, you know, if any of the what we're talking about appeals to you, look for the, do a bit of research around that. Look at co-livings that have won awards. Look at um, projects that are dynamic. That's one of the areas where I think connecting with those people, visiting them if you can in the destinations. And again, if you look to the more slightly more established destinations, and even I can even include Portugal and, and uh, Madeira and Croatia mm -hmm. now because they've been doing it for more than one year and that makes them really old in being a, a normal destination. Mm -hmm. We see all these other services popping up. We see, for me, that's fascinating. And that's where, as a nomad and, and, and as a true advocate for remote work and remote work life and true global mobility, the more 
about those different services you know, the more your story will evolve. And the more when you're talking to people, like I've done with you, and you ask a question about families, I can give you that really thorough answer, huh? Mm. That's where we will convert people. That's where there's gold in that. And there's a lot of talk on social media about storytelling. And that's why I really believe having those examples and having, you know, a story random where, for example, I visited Galicia, changed how I thought because I really connected with people, and et cetera, et cetera. The way you tell that will make another person go, hang on, wow, I could do that. I could go there. I could work in this countryside for two weeks or four weeks and meet with like-minded people, for example. So again, when you, you, know, when you share those stories, so that, that's the bit I really encourage people to look for those amazing projects. The other reason is a lot of those projects will be ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be early in this new market that is emerging. And if you investigate and support them, you can advocate for, for them and hopefully help them stay afloat because it's not going to be straightforward. We're coming out of a pandemic. So economically, some of these projects, they'll be amazing, but they might their timing may not be right, if you see what I'm saying as well, Hannah. It may be that they would be right in three years' time or five years' time. Um, and I think there will be some of that as well. So I really want to try and encourage people to support those projects and hopefully support all those amazing founders who are trying to meet the market needs of nomaders uh, who are, you know, are really, they're just so ahead of the game. They, they really need our, need our support. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I think we're in this kind of moment, at uh, point in time at the moment where it's kind of just starting to pick up and there's this like kind of fresh chapter in the remote workspace and digital nomad space at the moment where within five years we're going to be like wow like this has really taken off so I definitely agree on the whole jumping on board like the projects definitely jumping on board whatever it is that you're seeing out there now do it because in the next like five ten fifty years it's going to just like be on a whole other level my final question for you Rowena is fill in the blank home is where well I'm going to be a bit cheeky because someone else said to me home is where I lay my laptop when I was in Dubrovnik (laughs) and I thought that was a great quote but actually when I was on delivering yesterday I said home is where I lay my laptop with a good internet connection (laughs) reliably to extend out that sentence um was it me by any chance I I told you maybe it was you (laughs) I didn't credit you I'm sorry because that's so funny I wrote down loads of quotes uh, when I was doing my reflective writing coming back traveling back from Croatia in transit so maybe it was you but yes home is where I lay my laptop brackets with a good internet connection and so maybe I can steal that one and change it I also wanted to add to that though if you so giving you the credit what I wanted to add to that is I love the meaning of home but it not all be work yeah because that's what we try and do when we travel when we nomad, working gives you that sort of fixed spot. You meet people when you go to the co-working, all the good things that I advocate for. But, you know, when your children's in a local activity or play group, when you're meeting with other families to do a hike on a Sunday, you know, put yourself out there as well and look at it as your home for that period of time. And home, I know it can be the walls around us, but home is the people around us, the experience as we have in that place so I think that's the only other thing I would add again because that's why we keep doing it you know that's why this summer it's Portugal hopefully next year it could be Asia again uh, and uh, you know longer term on the cards but you know that's why we keep doing it because it feels homely to us as a family 
and mm. and it feels like the experiences are sort of such a big of such a rich quality that we keep want to go go back and do it because it's not always easy. You have to spend more time planning. You have to be organized. You know this. That's the reality. Anyone who nomads knows that. But it pays itself back so many times over for the quality of the experiences and seeing your child totally like she said a few weeks ago. So how, where are we spending our summer? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so it's just totally natural for her, and and that makes me feel really good as a parent that I brought up a child that it doesn't feel totally fixed to one place. And I think we need more of that in the world. Absolutely love that. Yeah, no, my, mine's home is where my laptop is because that with a connection, I can stay com, um, connected to family, friends. But I think it's, yeah, I, I suppose I can maybe evolve that into home is where my community is, which kind of involves people on social media. So that's kind of a similar thing itself. But yeah, no, I lo- absolutely love that. It makes me so happy that you also agree with that statement. <laughs> but Rowena, it has been amazing to chat. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely be checking out your course. Thanks so much, Han, and yeah, thanks for for that's so cool. Home is where my community is as well. I think that's the thing with nomads. That statement will always be evolving because we're mm. always having new experiences, like you said earlier on in the conversation. So that rings really true for me as well. No, mm. thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview. It's been my pleasure, and we'll supply different links and information in the show notes for everyone, Han. And I really, I mean, it's lovely speaking to you today, but I really hope we meet again in person at some stage soon. Oh, it's going to happen. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Stay tuned for a follow up when you're doing your next part of your course. Uh, Wink. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Remote Life. And thank you, Rowena, for your awesome insights. You can find links to the Becoming a Digital Nomad course, Rowena's website and other links below. Head to Twitter and LinkedIn to let Rowena and myself hand know what home means to you. Thank you so much again for listening. And we can't wait to remote work with you again soon.